0: All right. Hey, everyone. Good morning. So glad you guys are here. Uh, welcome to the exchange. My name is Josiah. If I've, not met y- if I've not yet met you, I'd love to meet you after and just say what's up. Uh, hey, today is spring forward. Or it's national, get the largest coffee day. I know it's like a tough morning for many people. (laughs) You lost an hour of sleep, so God bless you this morning for being here on a day where you lost an hour of sleep. So proud of you guys. Hey, we're in the book of Philippians, so if you would, turn to Philippians chapter 2. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to get you a Bible so you can follow along, and we'll get the lights turned on in just a second so you can hopefully see. But Philippians chapter 2. Selena, can you help me with the lights? That'd be awesome. I think they're in the back there. Sweet. Philippians chapter two. Um, hey, we are looking at two whole verses today. We are just flying through this book, covering two verses. Um, I'm excited to be here with you guys. I've been loving this book. Um, this is actually a, a cool day. This is. Um, so my, my our baby now is three weeks old. She's here today. So excited. First day at church. And uh, you can see but no touch. All right. Don't breathe. Actually, she's not here today. To forget I said that. Um, no, I'm kidding. But so glad she's here. It's cool. Philippians uh, chapter 2. Hey, just a quick um, kind of announcement or heads up. <clears throat> and a couple things to be in prayer for. Our Haiti trip, you know, we were leaving March. We were leaving at, mar- at the end of March, March 26th. And we actually had to cancel the trip. Um, you know, our U.S. government put out uh, something saying, hey, it's at level 4, meaning you cannot travel to Haiti. Um, and so we had to postpone it briefly. So now our Haiti trip is at the end of June. We are still going. Uh, we have spaces available. I think we have, you know, eight to ten people still going on the trip to Haiti. Um, but that, now that is at the end of June. So if you are interested or if those dates work better for you, uh, you can go on our website, click on, like, calendar, scroll down to Haiti, and you can click there. But we would love for you to be a part. Actually, I want you to think through this. Um, if our country became a level four, you cannot travel to America. Um, I would be hoping and begging that other countries would be praying for our country. And so let's just be in prayer for Haiti. Let's be in prayer for Venezuela. Let's just be in prayer for some of those things that are going on. Um, I just want to keep that in mind. So we are going there. We want to pray for the local pastors and missionaries, Lifesong, uh, the organization we were partnering with. They are still there on the ground. just want to keep them in prayer. Um, so I just want you guys to be aware of that. That's what's going on. All right, so Philippians chapter 2. Here's where we're at. We're in our eighth week in the study, and I just want to review in case you've missed a week or um, not sure what's going on. If you guys remember, Paul wrote this book. Paul wrote this book from prison. Paul wrote this book while being chained to a soldier, and Paul seems to primarily be writing about joy. And Paul is telling us simply this, what happens to you does not have to control you. What happens to you does not have to define you. That God does not just remove trouble from our lives, but he gives us something greater. And Paul is saying, look to Jesus. You can have a source of joy, that will, that will be endless despite your circumstances. So, Paul's writing about joy primarily, and I wanted to even just, I've said this before, but this is a huge book. It's an important book. This is the first church plant on the continent of Europe. All right, this is the first time the gospel went west. So, if you remember, Paul wanted to go east, he wanted to go into Turkey or Asia Minor, he wanted to have the gospel to go east. God opened up a door for him to go west, though. And actually, this church of Philippi, it's in like modern day uh, Greece. And so in a sense, the gospel started moving west, and this forever changed not just the Philippians culture, but Roman culture, the Western culture, the Western world. I mean, this is a pivotal book. And Paul's in prison, in Rome, writing to the Philippians, and he's right about how you and I can have a joy, a source of joy that will not fail, and that source of joy comes from Jesus. So this is kind of the theme of Philippians. Now, last week was probably some of the richest, most important texts in Philippians, maybe even in the New Testament. Paul talks about specifically in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, how Jesus is fully God, he's fully man, and he's a servant who came to die. And within that, Paul teaches us, like I said, some rich doctrine. Jesus, who existed being in the form of God, in the very essence, very nature of God, he did not consider it robber to be equal with God. So Jesus is God, Jesus is man, but he's a man who came to die. Jesus wasn't some king who came to earth and lived in a palace. He came, was born in a stale. He said, foxes have holds, birds have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. Jesus came to be the servant of all. And so we see this last week. We saw that the topic was humility. The example was Jesus. And in that, there's some great doctrine, some rich doctrine, but we're not to miss the point. He's saying, look at Jesus. The God of the universe humbled himself, died, but because he did that, God also highly exalted Jesus and gave him the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I want you to imagine this. Imagine being the Philippian church. You get this letter, you get this epistle, and it says, Jesus, Yeshua is Lord. And I want you to think what that means. At that time, in that day and age, all you would go around and say, and during tax season, you'd have to go around and confess once a year. You'd have to say, Caesar is Lord. And Paul is saying, no, no, Jesus is Lord. I mean, literally owning this book, reading this book out loud, gathering around, talking about how Jesus is Lord could get you killed, and this is what the church is doing. They're saying, no, Jesus, God of the universe who humbled himself, God has lifted him up and exalted him. He is Lord. And then verse 12, what we're going to be reading today, he says, therefore, therefore. So here's the idea. In light of what you just heard, in light of the fact that Jesus fully God, fully man, the servant of all, who died for all, who was humbled and then God elevated and lifted up, therefore, in light of this truth, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Therefore, in light of this great truth, in light of the humility and exaltation of Jesus, you need to work out your salvation. You need to do it with fear and trembling, but keep in mind God works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So we're going to simply look at these two verses. We're going to read them through. I I just want you to kind of feel the weight of what this would mean for the, the Philippian church. I think there was like a hush in the room when they read Jesus is Lord out loud publicly. That could get you killed, and then Paul's saying, "But and now you need to work out your salvation." Like let this sink in. Now you need to work out your own salvation. So let's read Philippians chapter two. We'll read this these two verses, and then we'll pray. But uh, we'll break this down nice and slow. Philippians chapter two, verse twelve. Paul writes, "Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation." with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. What does this mean? We'll pray and talk through that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can slow down on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. (laughs) God, I lost my hour of sleep. Help. Uh, But thank you that we can slow down on a Sunday morning and look to you and sing to you, and worship you, and study your word, and and God, I just do ask that our our attention, our hearts, our lives be focused on you. God, we just ask that um, this would not just be a verse we read or even memorize, but let this be something we truly work out, and give us the heart, the right attitude. God, let us do this together. Let us do this individually, alone with you, but Lord, we just look to you now, and we ask that by your spirit, you'd accomplish what you've asked us to do, in your wonderful name. Amen. Um, when I was 17, about 17 years old, um, I was one, like 165. I played basketball, like I mentioned before, I think once or twice. Um, I'm not uh, that weight anymore. Same height, but different weight. Maybe like 50, 60 pounds heavier, Uh, but I was in high school. I I really wanted to put on weight. I just looked really lanky and really weird. Like you're like 6'1", like super lanky. So I I was like, I gotta get some weight. I wanted to play basketball, move on to the next level. And so my friend introduced me to to a pre-workout thing called um, NO Explode no exploit. I don't know if you've ever seen this, heard this. This came out, like, I think when I was in high school. It's like a pre-workout drink, and it's one of those things that you kind of take to kind of get you hyped up to work out. I've never taken anything like this, so I'm like, okay, I'll try this out. And it recommends two to four scoops, you know. I'm like, okay, two to four scoops. Of course, I'll take four scoops, what it recommends, and I take these four scoops on an empty stomach, and within, like, 15 minutes, I think I entered the fifth dimension. <laughs> it was like... I was never so hyped, I get to the gym and I'm literally shaking. And I'm like, is there a car? I can lift a car. Like just, you felt like the surging power through your body. I was honestly at the gym, my hands were just shaking. They're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I took no explode. And, and I promise you, so I was at 24 Hour Fitness in Southern California, and I'm like, I have way too much energy right now, like freaking out. And so there's a gym there. So I grab a basketball and I'm like, you know, I've never really fully cleanly dunked a basketball. I'm like, let me just try. And so, like, I take a dribble, and, like, I rus- Russell Westbrook. It's like, goosh! Like, my first dunk ever, honestly, my first dunk ever was on NO Explode. That's how I dunked a basketball. I don't know if that's cheating. I don't know if that's okay. But I was done, and I'm like, okay, I just need to work out. So, for, like, the next hour and a half, I probably had the best workout of my life. I've never benched that much. I've never done that many reps, and I, I really mean that. That stuff just wires you. If you think I have energy now, just imagine me on NO Explode at, like, 16, 17 years old, freaking out. I want you to imagine this. Imagine I take NO explode. Imagine I take this pre-workout, four scoops, empty stomach. Imagine I take it and I just like just lay there. I just sit at home. My like, I'm gonna take my NO explode. Imagine I just take it and I'm just sitting there like shaking. That'd be terrible. I'd probably die of a heart attack. I don't know what would happen. I'd probably, if I did that over and over again, I'd become numb to it. But here's what happens: when you take something like that, you, you need to work it out. It, it does something to you, you're like, okay, it's in me. I need to do something with this energy. There's energy literally surging through my veins and I better do something with it. And here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying there's this power in you. The Holy Spirit of God is in you. The power of God is in you. Literally surging through your veins, you better do something with it. If we just experience the power of God and sit there, if we're to experience the power of God and do nothing with it, what would that do to our Christian faith long-term? What would that do to us long-term? See, Paul is saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do, the power to carry it out for his good pleasure. So let's talk through this. There is this power that God has worked in us, and Paul is saying now you need to work it out. Work out what God has worked in. And please hear this, because this is, we can apply this to so many things in life, like the NO Explode illustration, but it's very true. There's a power within us by God. Guys, I believe the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you and lives in me. Amen? And Paul is saying, now work out this salvation. There's a power in you. Now, you need to do something with it. Don't just take it and just sit there shaking. You need to do something with it. Do something with it. So honestly, there's two points today, and what we're going to look at, these two verses. Here's the first point. You work out. Number two, God works in. You work out. God works in. I mean, this is because of verse 12 and 13, but in a sense, it's first, God works in, you work out. God has worked something into you, so now work it out. So we do want to, I really do want to break this down and look at this more in depth. You work out, God works in. We see this responsibility on us to do something to work out, but we also see God, the one who gave it to us, put it in us, within us, a new heart, a new will, a new desires, the power to carry it out. And so here's what one author said that I think is so important for some of you who are like, oh, work out your own salvation. Sounds like works. It's God who works in you. It sounds like God's, okay, here's, here's what one author said. D.A. Carson said, We have expended huge quantities of energy pitting God's sovereignty against human responsibility when the Bible insists that these belong together. This is what we just want to look at. We try to say, Look, at God is sovereign. God works in you, of course, absolutely. And others focus on saying, Man, work out your salvation, of course, absolutely. They're not pitted against each other. He's saying they simply belong together, they go hand in hand. So that's what we're going to look at. You work out. God works in. Can we study this? Let's look at verse twelve. All right, let's read verse twelve again. First point: You work out. Let's read again verse twelve. He says, "Therefore, in light of who Jesus is, in light of what He's done, in light of the exaltation of Christ, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in much in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." All right, let's just like look at this completely. So he says, "Therefore, my beloved." Now I want to point something out about Paul. I love how Paul talks to the Philippians. I love Paul's pastoral heart for people. Uh, Paul usually would use this word like "Delphos," basically saying "my friends." Paul uses this word like agapatos, His idea is like "my my beloved, my heart." Paul only uses this term for the Philippians and Thessalonians. Can't necessarily tell you why. If you guys remember in chapter one verse eight, he says how I long for you with a deep affection. I have this deep affection. The word affection is this word splagnon, and it just means intestines, (laughs) all right? He's like, I love you from the belly of my body, like the the belly of my soul. I love you with everything I've got. For all your romantics out there, if you're writing a girl love note, you're like, yo, I love you with my splagnon. All right, it's a great word. Uh, But he's like, I love you from my my intestines. I love you with everything I got. And he says, and he calls into his beloved, and I just, I am pointing this out because there's something unique about the Philippian church, and here's what I think is really unique. This is not a letter where there's a lot of correction. In chapter 4, verse 1, there's some correction. Most epistles, Paul has a lot of correction. He's like, you've erred, you've gone off, this thing. And that happens in churches. We need correction. But this is a lot of it. It's like a, a love letter. A lot of it's just like exhortation, reminding them, keeping them focused, keeping their minds focused on what's to come. And here, what's interesting again to me, look at the first part of verse 12 or middle part of verse 12. He says, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Can you believe that? Paul's like, this is a church that always obeys. Not just when I'm with you, but when I'm gone. Now, now that is maturity. This is, we'd call this like church integrity, right? You look at integrity, he's like, man, I obey not just when my overseer's there, not just when my parents there, my spouse. I obey when no one's there. He goes, that's you. You have this high integrity. I mean, this is what every parent wants to, for their child or children. Like, we want to say, man, you obey even when I'm gone. It's funny, my wife and I are home the other day, and there's a cookie left out on the counter, Really bad decision. I don't know why we did that. Just one cookie. We're like Mike, if you're a good boy, at the end in the day you can have that cookie. Uh, like you know, half an hour goes by, and I'm like, this is weird. Mike is quiet. That doesn't happen. <laughs> I'm like, why is he so quiet? And we find him like in the laundry room, just like eating the cookie like gollum, just like, like he's just like crushing down the cookie. You're like, what are you doing? He's like, I was there. Right. So this is the idea. Obedience not just when we're present. He's saying it's when I'm absent, and that's you guys. He's saying your your church that is obedient not just when I'm when I'm there, but when I'm gone. Paul probably hasn't been there for about ten years. Paul planted this church, loves this church. And he goes, I've heard about you. I know about your love. We'll talk about their works. We'll talk about their giving. It's crazy. This church is so loving. And here's what I want us to see. Obedience is essential to growth in the faith. I mean, don't make any mistakes about this. If you want to grow in the faith, obedience is essential. It's something we don't really love to hear that word obedience, but it is so key. Jesus said, if you love me, if you really love me, what? You will obey me. If you really love me, you will obey me. If you really love Jesus, I love Jesus. Okay, do you serve Jesus? Do you love your enemies? Do you bless those who curse you? Do you follow him with your mind, your lifestyle, your sexuality? Do you follow with everything you got? If you really love him, you will obey him. I mean, obedience is essential to the faith. And he's like, you've always obeyed. You know what I love about this? Many of us here, you guys, and think through this, think through some mentors in your life or people in your life who've just poured into you, who just really poured into you. I've been a part of different things like this where, and I've heard people say things like this, like, well, you know, I fell into sin because my mentor wasn't there. They, they were checking on me every day. Now they're not checking in on me. And so, you know, I got into sin that way. And what they're doing is they're blame shifting. They're saying, even though he's not there, he should have been there for me. So it's not really my fault for doing that sin. It's really my mentor's fault. And, and it's one of those th- sad things. Paul's like, I wasn't there and you obeyed. You're not blame shifting. You're not, you're not I, I wasn't there and you follow Jesus. And this is something I would love. Could you imagine if Paul wrote, uh, wrote us, if Paul wrote you like an epistle and could say this about you, about me, about our church. What a beautiful thing to be said about. I mean, again, he goes, even much more, verse 12, much more my absence you obeyed. Like, what kind of unique church is this? And then, on top of being this church that's like, they're doing it well already. They're already doing it well. Here's where he says this phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So let's look at this. This is a command from Paul. This is an imperative. He's saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So what is that? Now let's talk about salvation, because what are we to work out? So he says, work out your own salvation. So what is salvation? How do I work out salvation? What does that look like? So what is salvation? Um, We've talked about this before. Maybe when you've walked in, you saw that sign, there's an A-frame out there, and it says what? Exchanging sin for salvation through Jesus. Some people have seen that and go, oh, does that just mean like I give my sin to Jesus and he just saves me? It's only like I'm, I'm saved. Salvation is not just where you're saved. That's one aspect. I mean, we've talked about this. But I want this to be ingrained into our... When the Bible speaks of salvation, it speaks about this birth, this process through life, and this destination. It talks about this idea of you are saved at one point in time in life, you are saved. And then you're being saved, and then you will be saved. That's what Bible, the Bible speaks of salvation, like this ongoing thing and this final thing as well. It happened, it's happening, it will happen. Please understand that when it comes to salvation. Because sometimes people make it just One-dimensional. But it's this ongoing thing. It's this final thing. So I'm going to put these words up here. We've used these before. I know they can be like Christianese kind of words, but it's so important. The first idea is this. Regeneration takes place. You're justified. This idea, too, of sanctification and glorification. So let's really talk through this. This is so key. So regeneration, remember this. we talked about this during the Holy Spirit series, but regenesis just means rebirth, new beginning, a re-beginning, a beginning of beginnings. God makes all things new, always. He says at one point in time, your life has just changed in the moment. So here's the idea. Salvation involves a change. That's the way to simply put it. Salvation involves a change. You know, we sing those songs, like, I once was blind, but now I see. The, The idea is that there was a point in time where the Holy Spirit made you new. Now, we might not see the fruit of that immediately. We might not see the changes in you immediately. But God, the Bible says, it puts a new heart, God puts a new heart, a new will, a new mind, a new spirit within us. It's so when Nicodemus sits down with Jesus, and Jesus says, you must, you must be born again. Listen, salvation involves a change. There's this idea of a rebirth. The thing that concerns me is that there can be those who grow up in the church or around the church or go to church and just assume this has happened. Their lifestyle and actions are exactly like the world, but they go, but I go to church, and I know Jesus, and I can tell you about the gospel of grace but yet there hasn't really been a change. They can talk the same way, have outbursts of wrath. They can drink like they, this they did before. They can do everything they did before, but there's no real change. Then there's the self-righteous people who, who maybe go around in that Christian home, and there's a side of it where it's like, well, I, I'm morally good, and I believe in Jesus, so I must be saved. But the question is, has you, have you been born again? See, there's a side of this. We like to always apply this to someone else. Of course I am. Paul says, examine yourself. Test yourself whether or not you're in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself. So this is something I want to all of us to understand. There must be a change. There'll be some sort of change, some sort of birth. Paul, when he speaks of salvation, speaks in that first way. Now in the second way, he talks about this idea of sanctification. All right, sanctification. So sanctification, here's the idea of putting it, salvation involves a journey. So salvation involves a change, but salvation also involves a journey. The idea is we might not see the changes immediately. We might not see someone be like, wow, they got saved. Like, why aren't they already growing? Like, just like birth happens and there's a baby. And then like a year goes by and you're still like a baby. Then another year goes by and now you're like a grumpy baby. Like, we see that like, there's growth happening, but it just, take, it just takes a while. And it, we got to understand this with Christianity. Someone's born again, they're following Jesus, and it's like, it's exciting and it's new and it's fresh. But we got to understand it's a journey. We're not expecting immediate changes overnight. There's grace in that but salvation is a journey. Uh, one person put it this way, sanctification is lifelong obedience of believers which leads to growth in likeness. Hear that, listen to that. Salvation, again, put up here, or sanctification, lifelong obedience of believers which leads to growth in likeness. A guy named Eugene Peterson, he put it this way, he's like, um, discipleship is a long life of obedience in the same direction discipleship, sanctification, it's a long life of obedience, constant obedience, just in the same direction. Paul would put it this way, I, I believe, referring to sanctification. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul said, But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Here's the idea. As as we look to Jesus, as we read about Jesus, talk to Jesus, sing to Jesus, pray to Jesus, as as we do this, we're looking, he says, like, in a mirror, it's dimly, but we're looking at, the idea is, like, we should be coming more and more like him by the Spirit. As we pursue Jesus, talk about Jesus, follow Jesus, seek to live out Jesus' will on earth as it is in heaven, he goes, by the Spirit of God, it will work in you, you'll become more like him. Sanctification is a lifelong obedience in the same direction. It's going to pr- eventually produce Christ-likeness and growth. Will this be immediate? No. Are, is your work involved in the process? Absolutely. When we talk about sanctification, this is kind of the verse. Philippians 2.12, what we're studying right now, this is like you could say like one of the most pivotal verses when it comes to sanctification. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is, we're, we're joining God in his work to make us more like Christ. God has put something within us and now I'm joining God in this work to be made more like Jesus. Amen? We'll get back to that because this is really the, the point of verse 12. But then lastly, when it comes to salvation, there's this idea of glorification. Glorification. So remember, salvation is threefold. Regeneration, born again. sanctification. I'm being made more like Christ. God's work, my work, hand in hand. And then there's this idea of glorification where one day there'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. One day, the Bible says, First John 3, that when we see Jesus, we'll be like Jesus. There's this idea that just like Jesus has a, re- a resurrected body, we too will have a resurrected body. Same Josiah, but resurrected. Where there's no more sin, there's no more pain in that sense. There's This is the idea of glory, of being with God, of being with Jesus. And as 1 John would say, is being like Jesus. And this happens upon us seeing Jesus face to face. No one in this room is at that glorification state. Because if you're alive, no one's there, right? We got that. We're either... Maybe you're not regenerated. Maybe you're born again. And if you're born again, you're on the sanctification process. And so here's what he's saying. Paul would even say it this way. He goes, He goes, Our salvation, Romans 13, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I look so forward. When you read the Bible, it just talks about this. And I love this thought. I look forward to the day we're just with Jesus. I think within everyone's life and heart, you guys, the thing that we should long for, obviously, the most is I just want to be with Jesus. Heaven's not about heaven. Heaven's about being with Jesus, knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus. It's not about streets of gold. It's not about cool new meals every day. Those are great. But it's just about simply being with Jesus. Our, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And so here's what Paul's saying. Don't miss this picture because I want to make sure we understand. He goes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Join God in the sanctification process of salvation. You're you're working it out. What God's worked in you, you're working it out. Now, I do want to focus on that phrase, work out your own. Work out your own salvation. Your own. There's a side of this where many of us, I think, can fall into this trap. We're much more concerned about other people's salvation than their own salvation. Should other people's salvation concern us? Absolutely. Should we care about those who don't know Christ? Absolutely. Should we care about those who claim to be a Christian but are not following Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there's also a side of this where Paul's saying, work out your own salvation. It's David in Psalm 51. God, search me. Know me. Try me. Or Psalm 139. God, try my heart. Know my thoughts. I want you to know me, God. God, search my heart in this process. Work out your own salvation. I think there's a side of this where maybe at church even I can talk about some topic. Maybe like today it's like regeneration. Maybe you're not born again. And it's like, well, this is probably good for someone else. We're really good about thinking, oh, man, Josiah might be speaking to someone in this room. But we don't think like, oh, maybe he's speaking to me. Maybe God's speaking to me. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to me. Maybe I need to work out my own salvation. Oh my goodness. Like, work out your own. And can I tell you, this is written to a church, a community of people. At the same time, in the same breath, this is done in community. <laughs> we're working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, but we're all doing that at the same time together. And we're following Jesus together in this process. And now let's, now let's like really look at this whole phrase as a whole. Well, f- one more part. He goes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Do you want to know the attitude we're to have when we work out our salvation? Paul says, Fear and trembling. Now, I know that there's some who love to, like, dismiss that or, or lower that. It's like, oh, it just means, he just means all in respect. Actually, the word fear and trembling means, like, dread and terror, <laughs> all right? I, I can't, like, diminish it and be like, yeah, just, you know, it just means, like, respect, you know, with fear. It actually means, like, have terror and dread in your life. There should be a sign of working out your own salvation that should bring this terror, this dread, in, in a good way. Not dread where you run from God, but dread where you run to God. So let me even, like... I guess, talk about that. The best way I can illustrate this is a story in Leviticus 9. All right, I'm gonna share a real quick story with you guys. In Leviticus chapter 9, you have Moses and you have Aaron. Aaron's the high priest. And they're in the temple, and they just did this sin offering, and peace offering, and burnt offering. They they offered all these offerings to God. They're actually instituting the priesthood for the first time. So Aaron and his sons are like the priests. You have the high priest and the priest's sons who are part of the Levite tribe. They're priests now. They're serving God in Leviticus chapter 9. So this amazing thing's happening. And in Leviticus chapter 9, we see that God's like fire, glory, falls from heaven and consumes the sacrifices. Now read this. I'll read this to you. The verse will be up here. It's Leviticus chapter 9, verse 23. It says, Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people listen and fire came out from before the lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar and when all the people so the nation of israel is there and they're watching this when all the people saw it they shouted and fell on their faces i love that they shouted and and fell on their faces this word shout is like a noise of praise (laughs) it's kind of the idea it's like like praising god and then they just fall on their face and i want you to think about that response I think both are so necessary there's this like praise of, like oh my gosh god you're mate. like whatever that shout is it's like a shout of praise but then they're on their face and this amazing thing's happening imagine seeing the glory of god come from heaven consume the sacrifices you want to what happens next in leviticus chapter 10 aaron's sons nadab and abihu it says they grab uh their incense and they grab their censer they, gr- they want to basically partake of this fire coming down they're like let us add our fire to the fire that's literally what they're doing Let us, like, add our fire to the fire. And so they're going to this offering in Leviticus chapter 10, and we're told that Nadab and Abihu are consumed. Right then and there, Aaron's sons are just smoke. And this is what God says to Moses and to Aaron, Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3. This is what God says. This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. God's like, understand if you're coming before me, I must be regarded as holy, and you, and you I must be glorified, and that was not their approach to God. The people are on their faces with fear and trembling, and they're going, How, let us be a part of this work of God. Let us somehow take glory in what God's doing. We want the glory for ourselves, and God's like, no, I'm not going to share my glory with anyone else. Here's why I say this we are probably, maybe this generation, if you like look around, we might be one of the most flippant generations towards God and the fear of God than any generation. I mean, it is kind of sad to me. Sometimes I hear people talk about God, like an athlete, like, oh, the big man upstairs. I'm like, I cringe a little bit, right? Or like you see, there's cartoons that make fun of God. There's talk shows that make fun of God. There's Christians that make fun of God. This Christian's like, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy, ah! It's like, okay, I, sure. I, I get that we're, we're called the friends of God because Jesus laid down his life for us. Sure, we're, we're God's friends, but he's also God. There, there's a side of this where there should be some fear and trembling. I think if there's something missing or lacking, you could say in like the Christian's approach to God, it's, it's most likely fear and trembling. Like our attitude, like here's, here's the idea of this too. Um, you and I will stand before God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, we will give to account for our life, whether good or bad. I'm not gonna be judged for my sin, my sin was placed on Jesus Christ. But it's like, hey, what did you do with my son? Did you build on that foundation? Did you did you squander it? There's a side of this where there should be some fear and trembling, absolutely. There's a side of this where you should approach God maybe a little bit more with the sense that He is God and I'm not. Like we sung the song earlier, like, Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips it's when the angels are flying around praising God in heaven. It says they have six wings, with two they flew, with two they cover their feet, and with two they cover their face. Like I can't even look upon, I'm an angel, and I can't even look upon God, he's too holy. There's a side of this where we should approach him more in this respect, in this regard. Over a hundred times in the Bible you see this idea of the fear of God. Thirty-six times in the Bible we're told to fear God. Thirty-six times we're told to fear God. Can I just point something out? The problem's not with fear, I I really believe this, the problem's not with fear, the problem's with fearing the wrong things. The problem is that we fear too much about maybe life, retirement, sickness, cancer. I actually think if we feared God more, everything else would be in balance. Like you and I fear maybe losing a job, losing this loved one, losing this relationship. I don't want this to happen to me. What if I don't have this? We, we all have fear, but we, we somehow we have the fear of the wrong things, not fear in God. And I think if you and I would place our fear in God, I think all those other things would That's nothing. That's not, not going to move me, losing my job, losing this, this person, this thing. There's this idea where we see that we're told of the fear of God, that's it. So one thing we're told to fear is that fear God. Here's another way to put it, too. It's a, it's the most beautiful and terrifying thing. Can we just like think about this. It's the most beautiful and terrifying thing. So at my at my wedding, you've been married, maybe, maybe you haven't been. You're looking forward to that day. Uh when I, the thing I think I love about weddings is usually the groom's men or the, the groom. The groom is usually incredibly nervous for many reasons. I love those videos where like the groom or <laughs> the groomsmen fall over and you're like, ah, oh, it's great. But um, There's usually a lot of fear there. Here's the idea. When I sit before my wife with our pastor, with our family and friends, and it's the exchanging of the vows, that's where everyone gets quiet. Everyone's like, "Shh, don't talk anymore. They're exchanging vows. There's something really beautiful just about saying for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, till death do us part. And there's something incredibly beautiful and terrifying about that. You know, could you imagine if someone didn't take that serious? They're like, "Ah, for better or poorer, I guess. Uh, for richer, you know, it's like, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. I don't know. Do I have to say that? It's like, absolutely. <laughs> like, like, you can't take that just with like a half-hearted, eh, not a big deal. Like, no, take this incredibly serious. You're making a covenant before God, before people, before their spouse. Like, this is an incredibly holy, beautiful, and terrifying moment. <laughs> Understand what's happening. And, and it's like, that's the idea with God. It's this beautiful thing happening with God, but it's incredibly humbling and, and incredibly terrifying it's the Grand Canyon where we are at the Grand Canyon two years ago standing there looking over the Grand Canyon you go oh my gosh this is absolutely beautiful and then we have our two year old son strapped into the stroller because we do not trust him for one moment we're like no this gets too wild if we get him out of here he's going to go over the canyon but you have like this incredible awe of the canyon but this incredible terror like you kick a rock over you're like oh my gosh that could be me and like this terror kind of consumes you and that is like this idea with God it's just absolutely absolutely beautiful but there's also fear and trembling I, I can't diminish this he says, when you work out your own salvation, there should be this sense that you are God, I am not. You are God, I am man. And this is something I, I would love to see more in the church. It's not that we have to be fake serious. It's that we know that God is in heaven and I am earth, so I'll let my words be few. It's that we've approached to God. And, and then there's this mindset, too, I'm going to come boldly to the throne room of grace because his throne room right now is a throne of grace. <laughs> and I'm going to approach him in that way. But Paul's saying you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So let's, let's hear this fully. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. All right, so what does Paul say? He says, work out your own salvation. Paul does not say what? He does not say work for your salvation. Do you get that? Paul does not say work for your salvation. Nope, wrong. Work out. Paul does not even say work on your salvation. Like, you gotta work on it. Maybe, hopefully, you'll be saved. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Decide this. We're working this out. So, here's what that means. We can't deny this truth. There is effort required. There will be time and diligence and discipline required. Do we get that? Some of you hate that D word. You're like, oh, that's my word for the year. Don't say it. Discipline. Ugh. But there will be discipline required. There will be effort required. We cannot outsource our following Jesus to someone else. We like to outsource things as Americans. Like, oh, maybe they can do it. We can't do that when it comes to our spiritual life. We have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So the question is how? And we could probably spend, that's why we go through the Bible. We could spend a long time talking about how. Here's a few things. Can we just talk through this? Church, friends, family, can we listen to this? Can this become a part of our lifestyle? Because if this is the message today from God for us, if this is God's word of work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and we walk away and go, I memorized that verse, but we didn't work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, then we missed the point. So here's ways to work out your own salvation. First point to write down, just consistent Bible study. This should be a no-brainer, but consistent time in the word, dedicated time in the word. Hey guys, I, I hope, I hope that you're just so filled with the word of God. if someone cuts you, you believe scripture. You're like, ah, oh, scripture just pours out of you. You know what I mean? Can I tell you, there's there's not a secret to anyone I know who's like one of those spiritual giants, 30, 40, 50, 60 years following Jesus. You're like, what's the secret? You're like, um, I eat the word. Like, I eat it. Like, it's food. Like, morning, lunch, dinner, snack. The word of God is just in me. It's Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, when he's like, your, fir, your, your word was like food to me. It's Jeremiah, I found your words and I ate them. <laughs> I love that. I mean, this is like, the, the Bible's full of this idea of like, consume the word, be filled on the word. Do you know the word? Not just you have it memorized, do, do you have meditate on it? Do you comprehend it? Do you apply it? Do you live it out? Do you live it out in community? There's all these, but be filled with the word. I'll even say in my own life, like there's times where like when I'm, whether driving, whether I'm walking, whether I'm doing whatever, just have the word going on. Like constantly fill your life with you have a free, put the word on, re- open up the Bible app, read it. Like we need to be intentional with this. Work out your own salvation. How, hey, know God's word, study God's word. How can you work out God's will if you don't know God's word? So we can't work it out if we don't know his word. That's the first thing. Second thing is this, intimate prayer time. And notice that word intimate. Not just like a prayer time, but like intimate. This might be spontaneous. How many of you like spontaneous prayers? I, I do like them in the car. Not just like, God help me, that person's crazy. But like, this those times where you're just like praying and crying out to God. But then there's this times where we need dedicated like, hey, in your phone, maybe you need to do this. Put like 7 to seven fifteen pray. 7 a.m. to 7 15, I'm going to pray. Maybe you need to tell yourself, I'm, bro, I'm dedicating time to prayer. Like, God gets his time. No one's touching that time. Great. Intimate prayer time. Third thought is this. Authentic community. How do you work out your salvation? Uh, it's done in community, and this, this has to be fought over. This is not just happen. I know there's a lot of other things you would be doing on a Thursday night or Wednesday night or Tuesday. I, there's a lot of other things you could be doing. I get that. But maybe there's some friendships in your life that you need to replace with real, genuine, gospel-centered, Jesus-centered community. Maybe, you say, But it's not helping. It's like, well, fill, fill that time with God's word. It's not just what can I get out of that community? What can I get out of that group? But what can I offer? What do people need from me? People go to community groups a lot of times, like, they better feed me. Like, okay, no, like, go with the mindset of, like, what can I give? There's a side of this where you need to fight for this. Number four is this. Actively serve others. How do you work out your own salvation? Actively serve others. That's what Jesus did. He did not come to be served, but to serve. That could be just honestly your neighborhood, your community, your workplace, your church. There's so many, but actively serve others. Work out your own, so actively serve others. And along those lines, just the fifth thing I wrote down is love like Jesus. And honestly, the reason is this. Um, Everyone loves people, but the Christian is called to love their enemy. We're told to love those who hate us. We're told to love those who persecute us. Luke 6, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Can I tell you, this has probably been one of the best ways in my own life to just work out your own salvation. Like, you're like, I'm going to pray blessing. I'm going to pray love. I'm going to bless those who curse. I'm going to pray for those. There's something so beautiful about that. Love like Jesus loved. Forgive like Jesus forgave. This is so, how do you work out your own salvation? There's just a few ways here. Can I tell you guys, if we end today's message and there's not consistent Bible study time or intimate prayer or authentic community or serving, like Je- or serving others or loving like Jesus. If we're not doing that, we miss the point. Paul's like, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Like, oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. I memorized that verse today. Like, no, now, this is a time now to work out your own salvation. Amen? Would you agree? This is the time to work out. Salvation, it, it's not, this is not gonna be a, a result. It's not gonna be, but it's, this, is gonna be, this is gonna happen from ha- knowing Jesus in this way. And then number two, so first point is this. You work out. Second point is God works in. And this is what I love Because if I'm like, yo, work out, and you're like in a hospital bed, and you're like, my whole body's broken. I can't work out. Like, that's not the case. God says, I'm giving you the power and the will to work out. I'm giving you new desires and the power. So number two, God works in. Look at verse now 13. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God's worked something into you. One way to put it is this the same gospel that saves us from work calls us to work. We're not saved by our works, but we're saved to work. For some reason, sometimes in the church, there's almost like, oh, he's talking about works. It's dangerous. It's like, no, works are a byproduct of salvation. This is what he's getting at. But here's something really important. Can I just do a a quick little annoying grammar lesson that I think will hopefully radically change how you read the Bible? Um, This is like English 101 that I failed in high school, but I re-studied it now. Um, Here's the idea. In the Bible, there's something called indicatives and imperatives. Indicatives and imperatives. Indicatives and imperatives. Here's, and I guess that idea. An indicative is like a statement of fact. So you are sitting. I am standing. It's just a statement of fact. An imperative is me saying, stand up. Don't stand up. Or... Um, whatever it might be, like, like, touch your head, rub your belly. That's an imperative. I'm commanding, do that. I'm saying, like, do that. The Bible is filled with these indicatives and imperatives, and here's what's so beautiful. So often in the church, we focus on the imperatives. You do this. Do this, Christian. It's like, ah. But the Bible always addresses the imperatives. The imperatives is like a statement of fact. So here's one. God loves you. Statement of fact. God loves you. You're so loved by God just sit in that for a little while. Sit in that. Some of you need to sit in that for, we all need to sit in that for a long while. God loves you. He absolutely loves you. He absolutely adores you. Paul had affection for these people. God, infinitely more for you. God loves you. Statement of fact. Now I say, in light of God's love, go love others. It's the indicative that propels the imperative. It's something that says, you are son or daughter of God. You're seated in the heavenly places. Therefore, you're God's workmanship in Christ Jesus created for good works. It's this idea of like, Go do good works in light of who you are, in light of being a son or daughter of God, in light of being forgiven. Go forgive, in light of being loved. Go love, in light of being served. Go serve. Do you you see? It's not just like a command. The Bible's not just like command. Do this. Do this. Do this. It's not. First, you need to simply embrace the statement of fact. This radically changed my life. I think for too long, as a young person grew up in the church, I just heard do do do, and I was like, oh, I can't do this. This is way too hard. And I had to enjoy the indicatives of God just saying, you're mine. Your new creation, statement of fact. Your new creation in Christ Jesus. And I had to sit in that fact and that truth. I had to embrace it and enjoy it. And it's like, in light of that, now go out and preach the gospel so God can make more new creations. <laughs> there, there's something about these indicatives that leads to these imperatives. And it's so beautiful. And Christian, hear this because Philippians 2 12 through 13 can be memorized and broken and misinterpreted. Can I tell you, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Absolutely do that in light of the fact that God has already worked in you. In like the fact that God works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Does this make sense? Is this not beautiful? We can work out our salvation because God's already worked in us. Another way of putting it, Warren Weersby said it like this. He said the Christian life is not a series of ups and downs. It is rather a process of ins and outs. God works in and we work out. We cultivate the submissive mind by responding to the divine provisions God made available to us. God works in you. The Christian life's not about ups and downs. It feels like that sometimes. I'm walking with God, I'm not walking God, But it's about ins and outs. God's working something. Sometimes you have a season of sitting down at the feet of Jesus and be filled and let God work in. And now it's like, now it's gonna work out. There's a side of this where we can be like sponges, and we soak it up, and we're just like big, fat sponges filled with water, but God's like, let me squeeze you now. Now it's time to work. You might be just a dry sponge. God's like, let me fill you. Let me fill you with the water of the word. Let me uh, give you more indicatives. Let me give you more statements of fact of who you are, and now you have that, and now go work it out. This is so beautiful to me. The ESV uh, puts it this way. It says, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This idea of work literally means creating both the desire and the drive. Creates the desire and the drive. So understand this. Work out your own salvation, fear, and trembling. Like, I don't want to. Well, God actually is working within you the desire to do that and the power to do that. Adrian Rogers said it this way. Behind, listen, this is so good. Take a picture of this, write this down, whatever. Behind every command of God is the omnipotent power of God to carry out that command. Behind every command of God, the omnipotent power of God is behind that command to carry it out. God doesn't say go do something without giving you the power to go do it. Do we get get that? God gives you the power to do it. So let's talk about this for a second. Let me ask you a question. What is your deepest desire? What is your deepest desire? No, we as Christians have a conflict of desires all the time. Please don't miss this. Um, There are some things in us that desire wrong things. Romans 7, Paul says, I live in this body of flesh. I'm still in this b- and the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I I, I don't want to do, I, I find myself doing. Who is delivering me from this body of death? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The same person who saves me from hell, saves me from me. So beautiful. But but here's what I want you to see. We have a conflict of desires so often. Paul shared this conflict of desires. There might be some desires in you that you, if you're honest with God, you go, This is pretty wicked. I desire to do this with this person. I desire for power and money and glory and fame and this and that, Instagram famous, whatever. I desire for all these things. What is that? A lot of us have desires in our heart. If you search them out, it's, it's pretty wicked. But I'm going to ask you a question again. But what is your deepest desire? You see, for a Christian, your deepest desire is I just want to know God. I want to enjoy God. I want to please God. Do, I, do we have desires for evil, sinful things? Absolutely. Paul says that in Romans 7. He goes, I do. I do but there's some, there's a greater desire behind all, for there should be if you are a believer in Jesus Christ who's been born again and you're regenerated and God has placed a new will a new mind and new spirit within you, your desire of desires ultimately, even if you don't always fulfill them is, God, I just want to know you. I want to I please you. I want to live for you. I want to enjoy you. I want to hear from you. My desire, God, is to know you and make you known. And there's this desire deep down within all of us, hopefully, that is greater than all those other desires. Do we always cater to that desire? Maybe not. But that should be the deepest desire of our heart and guess what also the power to carry it out it can't just be left to desire there, there's a side of this where god says now i give you the power to do it the nlt version says it this way and it's more it's, i think it's more efficient he says for god is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him he gives you the desire and the power to do what pleases him we all have desires but our greatest desire should be god i want to know you I want to please you, I want to walk with you. I want to hear from you. I want to make you known, and God, you also give me the power to carry that out, not just to state of desire, but to actually carry it out. Amen. One more thought. I this quote was just too good to not share it by a guy named Andrew Murray. I know, sorry, forgive me. He said this: "The idea, listen, the idea that many Christians have of grace is this: that their conversion and pardon are God's work. Listen. But now in gratitude to God, it is their work to live as Christians and follow Jesus. No, he says, just as it was Jesus who drew you when he said come, so it is Jesus who keeps you when he says abide. The past grace to come and the future grace to abide are alike from him and him alone. Is this encouraging to know that you're not alone in this? In the sense that God's like, I'm calling you to abide, I give you the power to abide. It's not like, work hard, work out your own salvation, and you're all alone in this. You no, know, God has already worked something in you. There's a power of God within you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You know, Paul said it brilliantly. I think the best way anyone could ever talk about this idea of grace and works and grace, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15:10. maybe you remember this verse, he says, but by the grace of God, listen, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. I love how Paul puts this. He's like, I am what I am by the grace of God. Grace. Notice how grace is a sandwich. He's like grace, I am what I am by the grace of God. He goes, I worked harder than all of you. Like, again, only Paul can say that. I can't say that. I worked harder than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, that was in me. He's like, it was grace, and then there's this work, but in reality, it was grace. <laughs> he like understands this, and, and this is the heart of the Christian if there's anything good in me, can I tell you, if there's anything good in you, you do not get credit for a second, all right? If there's anything good in you, is that you? Absolutely not. That was you. That's not you. That was the grace of God at work in your life. If there's anything good in Josiah Grace, like, wow, it's just nothing. That is the grace of God. That is the absolute grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. I worked harder than you all, yet not I, but the grace of God. <laughs> I love Paul's approach, and this, this is our approach. It, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works as anyone, as anyone should boast, but at the same time we're created for good works. We need to quote Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and verse 10. And even the good works are produced by grace, so we can't boast even in that. It's just, it's, it is, it is this movement. Hey, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You need to do that. It's God who's already worked this within you. The desire and the power to carry it out, not carry it out, but you carry it out because God's given you the strength to do so. So listen, sanctification is not, okay, great, I can just sit down on the couch and watch 15 hours of TV and do this and do that and never give and never go here and never do this, serve God. Like, can I tell you, there's a side of this where God's already worked something within you. It's time to work out. A lot of you right now are on NO Explode and you're at home shaking. (laughs) It's time for you to take this power of God that's in you and to work it out. To work it out with fear and trembling. Amen, church? You know how we're gonna do that one way? One way is going to be through song and praise. But we're going to ask God to just, honestly, I want you guys to have some alone time with God in this time of worship. We're going to close with a song. I'm just going to ask that you can have some alone time. Say, God, put back and still within my heart again, fear and trembling that you are God and I'm not. Remind me of that. Hey, God, if there's areas in my life that are contradicting what it means to follow you, Jesus, I want to repent of that, own that. I want to work out this salvation with fear and trembling. You've already done something within me, and now let me work it out. I would say this. Some of you are in that sanctification process. Some of you just maybe need to be regenerated and born again. You can't work out your own salvation because you haven't experienced salvation. Some of you might need to experience salvation before you can work it out. Some of you might just need to simply taste and see that the Lord is good. You need to say, God, save me. Change me. Salvation involves a change. Regenerate my heart. Put this new will, this new desire, into my heart. God is, like Ezekiel says, take out this heart of stone and put within me a heart of flesh. And maybe that needs to be your prayer right now. And for for those of you that's happened to now, say, God, you've given me this this heart of flesh. Now, help me work it out with fear and trembling. Amen? Let's pray. Spend some time worshiping our God. I'm going to ask that we do this. Why don't you guys just bow your head? Why don't you guys just take a second and you pray? Just talk to God. Whatever he's spoken to you about, whatever he's placed in your heart, why don't you pray? And I'll just pray in a few seconds.